Welcome back to another episode of NFT Catcher Podcast. We'd like to remind everybody that nothing on the show is meant as financial advice, and to please do your own research. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Ghost Coffee Podcast, where I, Mombot, will be speaking with guests who I find inspirational or who have some valuable experience and insights to share with other creators like myself. On our first episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with my friend, David Horvath, an American illustrator, comic artist, toy designer, and co-creator of the world-renowned Ugly Dolls brand with his wife, Sun Min, which had a presence in retailers around the world and a feature-length animated film with a star-studded cast. He's also created a hit animated series in Japan titled Little Boney on NHK and recently released the brand new animated series on Nickelodeon titled Bossy Bear. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. All right. So we have David Horvath here on one of my first artist podcast interviews that I'm ever doing. I'm so excited. David, you know, you've been a huge inspiration to me as a person who's been involved in character design and world building and from the toy world, you know, so um, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. And we have, we, as you know, we've had Mumbot representation in the back of our car for the longest time. And you survived the transfer of the important stuff to the new car. So that that's a real test when your toy is amongst those that, you know, make it across. Uh, so you know we're, so we're, cool. we're all big fans and it's 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 held up remarkably well so well very good on the quality control <laughs> it's Thank great you. that's amazing that's so good to hear it's like a real honor to know that one of my plushies is like present ever present in your car with your with your crew it's um, inside the car too many of ours are always dragged behind the outside of a car for some reason i I think I, I showed you the photo of my daughter as a baby. Like her first uh, plush is an ugly doll that she oh, yeah, eventually she named it Toothpaste. Oh, I do. I do remember. That's great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, also my son grew up with ugly dolls. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. so he we have like photos of him you know, like surrounded by his dolls and, you know, like the E.T. reenactment. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, excellent. Yes, yeah. we we have quite a few photos like that. Just it wasn't really our choice. <laughs> Just uh, at certain points, that's how our living quarters used to look. I bet. Uh, <laughs> just cool. uh, poking our head through plush dolls to get things done. Let's talk a little bit about your like, if you don't mind, if we could get get everybody like a little idea of your your history because you've been in mm, this, you've been doing this uh, for decades at this point, correct? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, it started with, we had a TV show in Japan on NHK every morning called Little Boney, which is like a little cartoon for a preschool, you know, preschool age group. It's like a, a morning show that was like half animation and then half actors to just like morning exercise show. And then Little Boney would come on right after that show. And it would be all about moving your, he would zoom his limbs, uh, you know, versus stretching, but like a, you know, and then there was that was our introduction to a big network, like from the get go, going on to the biggest network there and then working with, you know, Sony and NHK and then working with Sony consumer products on the the licensing side and being thrown into the Tokyo Toy Fair and licensing show. And just from never 
having been there before 20 years ago to suddenly having to spend all that time and being thrown into that world was a great learning experience to prepare us for everything else that followed. The same group that we did Little Boney with, they wanted us to do, um, there was a boy band called uh, Uverworld. They're still, I guess, pretty popular there. They have their, like a J-pop uh, boy nice. boy band. They did the theme song for an animation called uh, Bleach, I, I think it is. Wow, that's what really I cool. remember. Yeah. yeah but so we we did the character mascot and the uh, jacket design for their first uh, premiere album and then all the singles. Uh, and then the the this this little pink guy between the books, and then um Uber Uber Chan Chan is I, I don't remember. Then the toys were at Kitty Land, like you know, like promotional thing. Then while we were doing that, we were kind of growing Ugly Doll from zero. And that started at Giant Robot in Los Angeles and at Zaka in uh, New York City on Grand Street. Uh, we focused on every place other than toy stores. So like the MoMA store in Soho or the Whitney Museum gift shop. You know, there's more museum gift shops in there on McDonald's and Starbucks combined. So it was, that's like a huge white space that still presents quite an opportunity for aspiring character designers and those who want to make their own toys. You don't have to go to Walmart. There's way more stores just in, it's just harder. It's just harder because you have to call every single one of them, right? <laughs> one by one versus getting one order for a I just want to try I don't want to chime in and just dig into that for a second, because um, I feel like a lot of artists don't have the skill that you have to even recognize the the importance of that, the placement of your brand and and oh, whose eyes thing. will see it, Who, what kind of collector will be purchasing this, who appreciates sure. the story or maybe the fact that an artist is behind these toys. It's different. Yes, yes, it's it's different. And it's how Hello Kitty and all of those under or next to uh, succeed and and thrive and make the billions that they do. I thought I was nuts by doing that, thinking that that was the right way, which I'll explain very quickly. And then I, I became very friendly with uh, my friend Craig, who runs Sanrio in the U.S. Uh, he actually introduced me to NFTs through showing me, um, I think, Nifty Gateway, the website. He's like, look at this. These guys are making millions selling pictures. 2020, that, that era yeah. when they were really popping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, every time I called him to collaborate on something, he would try to turn the call around to try to start a new company together or something. And then he was like, well, check out Nifty Gateway, right? But talking about like how, like a lot of, uh, a lot of I, I hear a lot of kids in the NFT Twitter rooms celebrating and freaking out over big stuff and attention from big names and dude, we're, you know, let's F go. We're going to some big thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where kind of, you have to kind of avoid all that. Um, the the way you would want to really craft and grow a, a character brand is you, you have to you have to be discovered in the right places. And right places doesn't mean trendy or hip or or you know it it actually means you have to find the breaths of fresh air away from the noise. So like Tokyo is well, Japan, the whole country is the greatest white space when it comes to growing your own character brand. And many say, oh, but that's so crowded. How can you say that? You know, you walk outside, it's like the toilet has a character, the bank has a character. How? What are you saying that that's the greatest white space is completely saturated? It's like, no, it's, it's the least saturated. Uh, what is happening is when you're walking outside as a tourist, you're seeing characters everywhere. But when you walk outside, when you live there, you don't see any of that. It's, it's noise and you've already been accustomed to it. Like it's marketing, really. So you just kind of, it doesn't even process anymore, right? 
you're on the train and there's like the bank ad with whatever Doraemon stuff, whatever, right? There's the even construction just like, on the street even has a cool character design element to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah like, I, I was I was filming myself one being I, I was uh, talking to somebody about this, being sarcastic. Like, like you know the 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 buildings like sing happy birthday to you. It's like and at that moment in Shibuya and across happy birthday like came from <laughs> out of one of the buildings. I we couldn't believe it. I have it on tape. I'll try to find it someday. But it's just noise. But there are these kind of quiet zones and breaths of fresh air away from that noise. That then when you walk into these places, um, everything that's found there receives an enormous amount of attention and focus. And a lot of these key points in pop culture are well understood by the consumer who really drives the character, prim like the prime, like most of the revenues from the character business come from these key, very influential people who then have a ripple effect on everybody else. Like everyone thinks Supreme is that long line downtown in Manhattan, yeah. but it's not. It's a it's a 39-year-old office worker, primarily female, working in Yokohama somewhere. And, and she was onto that eight years before you. And that's why you're finding it in the cool mat, not because mm -hmm. some collab or any, any of that stuff, right? It's... Uh -huh. Like how how cause everyone thinks cause was when he put the posters in there. He would take out the posters and spray paint on them and put them back. They thought that's what he was doing. But was he doing that or was he choosing which ones to remove and put back right across from like the Condé Nast building yes. where all the people who would write about such a thing would interface with it, right? Yeah. The person uh, who cared, he was thoughtful enough to understand that they would see this and that sure. that combination. Mm. That's a theory, by the way. He'll he'll say that's not true. <laughs> but but uh, my stepmother at the time worked on one of the campaigns that he painted over. Whoa. And she and her and whole team got invited to go to the gallery show featuring their ad covered. It. So it was it was uh, it was I think he's that's meta super smart. And uh, <laughs> but but anyway, I, I got a little sidetracked, but the it's, it's all noise. Everything's noise. And so you have to find the breath of fresh air away from it. I keep using that term, but you have to find the places and it doesn't even have to be Japan. Like uh, I say, well, some will say, hey, well, I, I can't go to Japan. Well, you should. It's the cheapest place to go. Any like going across the street for coffee is more expensive than going to Japan right now. Right. With the exchange rate. But so entry entry level, just for someone to add some value sure. to someone who might be listening. A good example would probably be Design Festa or something like that. What would you you could, but I think first to have an understanding of what is actually happening is more important than like a, a location or a, or a specific show. I always start with, do you feel differently when you walk into the MoMA gift shop than you do if you went, walked into like a, a Home Depot? Yeah. And people say, well, of course, one is tools and one is cool designs. It's like, okay, well... Do you feel differently walking into, you know, the MoMA than you would Target? Target has cool designs. It's like, well, of course I feel different. It's like, well, why? But not why automatic, of course, haha, no brainer, roll your eyes answer, but actually really why? Mm -hmm. What is actually happening? And so the reason why that's happening is so critical to, I think, success in character culture. Uh, I call it, um, there's being discovered in certain places. You feel, when I walk into the MoMA store, uh, I, I feel like, yeah, this is my place. These are my stomping grounds. And my nine-year-old was like, this is not, these are not your stomping grounds. We've come here four times. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but this is me. This this place is totally me. 
they get me, I get this place, I resonate with it, right? And so what the things that I find there, I associate with the feeling that I already have about that place. And then there's the things that are next to the things that I resonate with. So if I walk in there and I find a Miffy lamp, I go, well, I love Miffy and that's a killer Miffy lamp, man, no love, color, beautiful. But then I look over here and well, what's this? There's something next to that Miffy lamp. There's something next to that uh, Nara ashtray. There's something next to the Murakami plush watch holder that mm -hmm. because it's next to it, I associate it as belonging in the same realm, in the same universe. I mean, that's that's really what was happening when we were at Giant Robot. It wasn't just mm -hmm. we're at Giant Robot. Mm -hmm. People were coming in initially and finding us right between like, a, you know, Murakami plushes and, and you know, Nara plushes and, and all the other things that they were very early on that had there. You kind of just started to associate it all together, right? And so that that's really important, not just to find a show. Shows can be important, but you can also get trapped in them where you end up just like like that becomes like a decades long routine sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So if you if you do go to a show, like if you do want to go to these museum stores and there's a zillion of them, maybe instead of, you know, Design Festa, you could go to the museum sh a show in Colorado, right, that they have every March or May. I can't quite recall. But sometimes the formula might be more helpful if you got into one of the big ones like MoMA, Whitney, Cooper Hewitt. If you could just get into just one of those and then you set up a booth at the museum show and then the, all the museum buyers from the other museum stores across country like idolize that like whatever MoMA is carrying, I got to carry because I got to stand out and be special. And so if you say, hey, I'm, I'm in the MoMA, I'm at, at Cooper Hewitt, I'm at the, uh, you know, the Getty, then Oh, really? There's an automatic association because their association, they're like they feel a certain way. That's why they're in this in the first place, right? So creating a sense of discovery and then creating some sort of association and setting up context, whether it's a museum store or a high-end department store in uh, you know in 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 Ginza somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's not just get my stuff into a cool store, but there's there are real deep reasons as to why you would want to be found and discovered somewhere and i always say never market to culture always become part of it and that. that's not just a catchphrase that's like you you really need to be there in the places that people go to get away from the noise yeah. and we're all we all have our stomping ground we all have our version of getting out of the noise and then resonating with what's in these physical places and Japan is the great white space because it's so offline, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is so online shopping now. We think, we think, right. yet the country is, like especially North America, is peppered with thousands of physical places where we can actually, like online's okay, but if you can make that connection with someone, whether it's a museum store or some, some other thing, maybe you're making something that more belongs at places like Silk Plant and Wacko on Melrose, uh, you know, like... Yeah completely other formula but still finding places where you would be able to mean something and not just be something that's a thing right yeah. become yep. more than a thing got you amazing wow <laughs> that was that was awesome it's only awesome for me because it, it seems to work uh I, you know we've applied that for the last 20 years and so far knock on wood it it still seems to work. The formula has not changed that much. And it, it seems to be, you know, that. And then like the other, the other, the other kind of trap I see is 
many rush to like brand collaborations these days, especially. That's huge. That, it, it is, but it's also become quite expected, right? Yeah. Where they were very powerful when it had never been done before, like TV in the 50s, mm-hmm. you know, every ad on TV was because you'd never seen a commercial before. But then by the 80s, you had to be a funny TV commercial. And now you don't even see them anymore, right? Uh, I, so I want to ask brand collaborations you, can can end up like that. Like, do you turn down a lot of brand collaborations? Uh, do you turn down a lot of brand collaborations? These days, we gravitate more just towards kind of collaborating with places versus um, brands. I would say, like ten ten years ago, we did uh, San Rio, and that was incredible. But amazing. Now, now it's actually grown where like the really super hardcore fans will look, are you, are you collaborating with Sanrio and you have the license like everybody does or, or did Sanrio make your stuff in house? Right. Did they make it? That's, that's, that's the differentiator now. Right. And yeah. I think even then, if if I were brand new in it now and recommending to anyone who's starting now, I would, I would look more at like collaborating with the Walker art center rather than, a, a sneaker brand or some other thing, just because it's it's less expected and long-term might be healthier for you, you know? And I would hold out for the collaborations that are like too many are seeking out collaborations to associate with something that's more widely known mm-hmm. or to trade tribe members, you know, like uh, now if, if Dihara in Japan has his tribe and I have mine and we want to kind of introduce each other's work, then that can that can be a little more meaningful. Yeah. Um, but if if we get approached by a big um, apparel company right now for something new we were working on, I, I don't know if that would be very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would it would be perceived as marketing. I think it would be very hard to, for that to be perceived as a true point of discovery or or a point of something that brings real genuine wonder. Wow. Whereas how many people walk into a certain place, whether that's a museum or I don't know. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm more into collaborating with places these days than I am entities that are known as brands. That, that's all comment. and then that'll flip. It'll I want go to the comment other. on that though, because now that I have an older teenager, you know, yes. and I've actually had a lot of pressure from other people besides him, but uh he gave me he pressured me all the time to like, you know, participate in like these art related things that would get me more followers like you know things that were perceived by some younger audiences him being a prime example to be like this this thing that was perceived as like a good thing to do for an artist who has characters you know like a mashup with a disney character or a mashup with you know doing some something that's not my ip and i i really right. stayed away from it you know as much as i could and just thinking about what you're saying it's it's hitting home for me because I do, I get a little pressure uh, to do something like that. And I have struggled with like, how meaningful is that though? And it's very short term and I'm not like against it um, with the right collaboration. Like, I guess if it was Sanrio, I would definitely, yeah, (laughs) I would probably go for it, but I know what you mean, especially what you're talking about with like license versus, wow, they would want to do, I mean, that'd be probably years from now for me, but but just like it's cool to hear you talk about this, digging into this this part. It's I think a lot of people don't see what you're saying. They they see, sure, of course, 
how their friends might think. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. You did a collab with so-and-so. Well, because that's a very romantic thing. You know, an individual, right? The idea that an individual would receive attention from a DC Comics, Marvel, Coca-Cola, Sanrio, like, the, the, the top 10 Disney, right? That's That sounds like a, a an unlikely miracle, right? And that to be able to assign your yourself and your perception of what you're capable of against suddenly Disney's wants to feature you. It's very romantic and, and would be very difficult to turn down. So, and, and I'm not saying that everyone should just now suddenly turn down all, all opportunities by people uh, and entities that you recognize widely, but that I think that if you plan out a decades long roadmap, I hate the word, but a, a plan for yourself, mm-hmm. right? That not just like, I hope this works, but the more you're sure of where you would like to be, even if it's just a, it seems like such a ridiculous faraway hope, but, and and not just where you'd like to be, but for how long you'd like to survive and be able to like, because a lot of those things, they're great. The things that get so much attention early mm-hmm. can kind of activate this unwritten clock that ticks. There's, there's this weird clock. There's the forever clock, which we call evergreen ubiquity, mm-hmm. which is very hard because when you have kids and um, there's bills due, as I'm calling from memory, mm-hmm. and you get a big order from Walmart in front of you or Disney in front of you, and you're holding your kid like, oh, I'm a bad father. I'm saying no to both yeah. of these <laughs> because I have the ridiculous idea to believe that what I'm doing is going to last decades and far past me. It depends. And it depends on what what you, there's nothing wrong with creating brand after brand after brand and going on that seven-year cycle. And that's, there's a weird seven-year cycle, especially if you're something that's, that becomes a physical good. And it's, it's weird. We used to have some retailers that in like the fifth and sixth year, would they were doing phenomenally well with us. And there was no indication anything was wrong with this. Like, wow, that's great. Whatever you're doing, you know, I assume you're doing it now because but it's like your fifth or sixth year, uh, getting getting close, cl- close to what? <laughs> like <laughs> it was just a built-in because they they had been in it for so long, and they see the things come and go, and they they understand when to set the clock, the timer, and they know once you're doing oh this is doing really well, so we have about six years go, and like they'll feature you because you know you're keeping them open to a degree, right? And so they're always on the look in your fifth year for like what's next, and it's just a routine that specialty gets into or at least they used to you know yeah. and, and not everybody other specialty buyers will listen to this and say what that's is crazy i never heard that but i have experienced that you know over and over again there's a weird that's amazing and you've been you've been in it for long enough that you could recognize these patterns so I'm, i mean i'm i wouldn't know i haven't been in it as long as you but i know from kind of a consumer sense i guess as a as a collector myself i guess i kind of know what you're talking about Sure. And and all all brands are just as fragile as the one next to them. So, you know, Hello Kitty and something that someone two doors down has decided to start building and they're in their second year, they're in the same state of fragility. Like they're just as, you know, like the big brands can oh, wow. easily end up being subject to these waves where they're just gone. Like you you might think I don't want to keep singling out Sanrio. So I'll just say I'll just say in general, some big brands you think they're so huge, but then really take a look around. And what kind of presence do they have in North America right now? 
It could, yeah. it, it, they might not even be around, around the way you think they are. They might be enduring, you know, a necessary downtime. Mm. Um, well, that's the other kicker is to control when, like, so that you're not always up, but to know when to even scale back so that you can have a healthier, longer road, which sounds crazy to many early. No, that sounds about? <laughs> that's all, no, that's awesome to hear that. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Wow. I have so many questions now that I wasn't planning to ask you. <laughs> and, um, and someone else will completely disagree, but you know, this has all just been my own experience own. and you know, talking to a, a lot of my mentors and friends who operate some of the most giant things, and then some who like Dihara, who is when you look at him, you think he's got a small operation going, but just incredible what he's just been plowing through his vision and his vision only for decades and and how he's maintained it. It's quite brilliant. You know, I, I recommend doing a deep dive to anyone who's interested in the character business, especially like lifestyle leaning versus storytelling, like to really do a deep dive and a scroll down into the darkest deepest history of when your favorites and your heroes really started and to kind of, you can track if they've been around for a while, you can see like the, the highs and lows and the timing. And, and it's very rare for any of it to be accidental, you know, it's especially after like a while when they got their rhythm and they've figured it out, it becomes quite apparent how purposeful everything is. You can see the more purposeful it is and the more wise the decisions, the more the higher likelihood of them still even of, of them thriving now today. Who are some of your heroes or influ- biggest influences? Uh, I, I get a kick out of being right, like finding someone like Bridge Shiphouse. I found in 2014, and that wasn't her start. But even even Medicom, when I brought her up, the you know the the founder of Medicom was like, oh, Bridge Shiphouse. But now they have tons of stuff with Bridge Shiphouse, and she's like. You can't walk down a street in in the busier parts of Tokyo without seeing giant billboards, you know. But on the other hand, watching the care, even though it's like in the, you know, eighth year or tenth year, a time when most would pull the trigger on all sorts of whatever offers are coming in, and and still watching how everything's treated, which with as much care as it as it had been on day one. And I, I, I'm for me, my hero are any of these creators who you know, take that that longer road because I, I just know how frightening it can be, and 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 you know it, it can't you can't especially in the beginning like your first no is is tough, but no is a power it really is uh, no is you, you have to exercise your the power of no so that you can make the right yes, and there really is such thing as the right yes. And for some, it's like, I don't care. I'm going to say yes to everything and I'm just going to build something else. And I don't care if it's seven years, right? It pays the bills and food on the table. And who knows, maybe it goes up to a zillion dollars. So it, there's always outlier cases that everything I'm saying would never apply to. Right. Exceptions to the rule. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If there is a rule, but there's more approaches that seem to work really well for those who are interested in doing it. And it, you know, to many I speak to, especially like um, kids who've never attempted it before, it feels like, I remember, I'll never forget one said to me, I've been scrolling through Instagram and these illustrators are so amazing. And yet nothing actually is happening with them. So if they're that incredible and nothing's happening to them, then what, what chance have I got at anything? 
right? Look, this is what I can do. And I want to do this. They are not able to do that. I'm like, well, are they not able to, or are they not doing it? They're just not mm-hmm. physically making the attempt to, to do that. Yeah. Right. You're, yeah. you're, you're just you're scroll fodder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that knowing for, for, a, for that's, that's why I started a Substack to just put it out there for whoever finds it, that I love your Substack. these things can actually be applied that there are these funny formulas that you can roll into. And it's not just one crazy person talking mm-hmm. about it, but you can actually identify many people around the world who use some similar version of that approach. And it, it works to various degrees, depending on how people respond to it. You know, even though you find these cool stories, people still have to like it. Right. I really appreciate your sub stack. And I think also on Twitter, you add a lot that could be really helpful. I mean, you know, in web three, there's just so many uh, projects that wish or not, I don't want to say wish that aspire to have just one of the things that you've accomplished, you know, to, to have a plush, you know, you have a whole line and multiple lines from different eras and you have animation, you have an animated film and you have an animated series coming out, which is mm-hmm. very exciting. Um, yes, you know, you've just, you've, you've also just influenced culture actually, which is another big thing in my opinion. So um, and that it was cool. You, you, we dived into that, like how you kind of, how your brain works um, with all of that. But I, I, but I, but I really appreciate that you're offering these kinds of little tidbits all the time. And you're, you're trying to help people understand, although I, I'm not sure how, how's the reaction been for, for you from web three in this sense. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to even be able to operate within it. I think if I really had the time you know, during during our whole experience through Web3, quietly, 99% of my life has been building that the Bossy Bear show that's coming out in, in two weeks. Um, and then preparing all the books that are coming out that we're doing in for starting in spring 24. So that's, I, I think if I had more time, I would like to think that I'd have been able to figure out even more than I have. I, I, I was just in awe that it exists. And I was very happy to be able to be a you know, a, a, a participant of it. There were some interesting concepts, like the CC0 thing was interesting to me because back when when we first experimented with it, I thought, hmm, it seems like there's a new world coming that could potentially disrupt the one that we're in and that we love being in, right? Uh, our, our world is not perfect though. Our business has weak points and, and could use some disruption. So I thought, oh, here comes the Uber to our taxi cab kind of situation. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to embrace it and kind of foster it because that would just screw up everything that we're our system. And that's healthy. They would make it better. You know, you got the guys at the licensing show with the suitcase with the wheels dragging, like, hey, what's the new thing this year? It's getting it's getting a little tired. There's a misconception that like release a movie and then your t-shirts and toys sell like crazy. That those are actually outlier cases. It's very you can have the hit movie of the ev- forever, like the Avatar toys from Mattel 10 years ago or whatever it was, didn't sell at all. Like the big movies that you saw come out over the last 10 years, half of the toy lines associated with them didn't move. Wow. Right. So oh, one and I'm jumping around, but one, one thing about the Web3 experience, I'll say, and I got over it, but. I thought everyone's moving to this like mm, oncoming decentralized yet to realize, but very like everyone kind of had this shared vision of a 
decentralized universe where characters would be free of copyrights because they would intermingle and and that old legacy world wouldn't really apply or be applicable and you know the the credit would be assigned to the creators and uh, on and on and then all of a sudden the top five or top ten at OpenSea would get approached by like like my agency like CAA or UTA or uh, they get some animation deal and they freaking out like happy and I'm like what 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 are you what are you doing you guys are like literally like you've got the iPhone and you're getting a tapped on the shoulder by Woolworth. <laughs> like the, you, why are you happy that you're you're this close to? I thought you were building the future. So I was very confused for like a week. Like I, I don't understand. Like why why would you want to like the guys I know who are developing the TV show you want so bad want what you're doing? Like they want to do what you guys are. They want to get out of that. They want to escape from the thing that you're saying. Let's F, LFG whatever. I can't <laughs> believe CAA. CAA is wonderful. They're they're brilliant. My my agent there's genius. I've been with him for years, but they don't like build. They don't like activate building the rest of your brand for you or anything. They don't. That's not how it works. They're there for you when you've got it all figured out and you just need a little oomph to get you some package. That you know, there's a million things they could do for you, but I haven't seen anyone. You know, it's good to have like the news that they signed. Okay, I I didn't really release my signing with them in the press release because what with that for what i don't understand so i was that very ties back into the thing though weirdly about the instagram artist where if you just yes part of the thing is just making the 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 great stuff making good art but that's not enough and no one's gonna just do anything for you like if you're not like it's the same thing when it like you can't just wait around for people to do stuff for you and and ask you you know that's just not enough it's like mm. it's, i feel like it's the same whether or not you have an agent like the agent sure, is going to sure. do everything for you sure yeah they're they're great to have so i i i i then realized oh well maybe maybe they're signing because they are going to now put in the work and do the you know it's it could take 6 months it's probably going to take a decade to do what the things that they kept saying that they were hoping to do and then to have that agency right there for when it's the right time is maybe a good thing right uh, so I think now now I understand that you know it's two years later there there has been no decentralized metaverse has not appeared <laughs> uh, maybe someday you know could be and it doesn't have to it could be like the Apple glasses and it's just like a we're living in their version of iMessage augmented reality that's okay too right it could be a NFT iMessage stickers and virtual galleries who knows but I I do think that the legacy world will continue for now. And um, it's interesting to watch some of these brands um, attempt to operate within it. it. I think it's, and some of them, I think will do fantastically well. So do you have some that you might want to throw out there? Like just curious, genuinely. Uh, based on the the, the founders, uh, I think Fangang will do very well because they just, <laughs> a lot of it is uh, mental. Uh, mm -hmm. To be honest, and more mental if you're a parent, <laughs> you can make it quite mental. But the the willingness to for this to just take years, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, against the backdrop of what I used to misinterpret as impatience, but maybe it's just a disfamiliarity with how long things might take, right? Mm -hmm. you know, over the last two years in Web three, I've heard 
certain levels of impatience with some projects that things aren't happening. And I thought, wow, um, I'm sort of happy that I was not able to like read that level of impatience about what we were working on when we first started, because I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Right. So it, it can, it can, in outlier cases, you can be on the top of the world in a, in a year out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Um, but in general, you know, in the bell curve middle area, um, it can take years. Well, it can take forever because even when you kind of achieved somewhat a version of what you were hoping, you know, the way you would, you were hoping it would, that requires just as much maintenance and care as the day you started. So it's sort of a forever process, but if you're in love with it, then it doesn't really matter. That's so, uh, so other, other projects. Um, I see the I nouns think, behind you. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> nouns. I, I felt like, you know, I, I was attracted to nouns because I felt like nouns could lead to my own business being healthier. Mm -hmm. uh, that whole idea of like, it was kind of an example for something that others could do. Like it, it felt a little bit like the character version of SpaceX, where it was a very like hope filled project. You know, like it could be a, it could be like a Nike swoosh. It could be a Hello Kitty. It could be story driven. It's really hard to be all three of those. It's hard enough to be one of those. Right. Yeah. You talk about that in your sub stack. You talked about. Oh, yeah. Dan, can you go into that a little bit? Because. Sure. That was so valuable. I really, really enjoyed that part. Absolutely. A, lo a lot of what I go on and on about is more on the lifestyle character side, right? Yeah. When I talk about the character business, I'm talking about Hello Kitty, Tokidoki, Sanex, yep. yeah, Real Akuma, um, Gloomy Bear, mm. uh, you know, on and on. And, but then there's um, media driven like SpongeBob and, you know, um, Pete the Cat, which is like a popular children's picture book that went to netflix right pete the cat is a brilliant thing to look at no matter who you are like hmm. like board ape yacht club could learn a thing or two from pete the cat i'm looking at pete the cat and oh, I, I think so like we all could right uh like the other um children's book picture uh picture book illustrator and author i i love that i'm friendly with is uh mo willems i love mo willems if you, if you look at the history and how like his path and how committed he was to the longer journey and not just putting out tchotchkes everywhere which he could have done yeah now, now he's got like a much bigger section at barnes noble mm. and it's at a great time when barnes noble matured into the kind of store that he would like they, it kind of creates this uh beneficial circle that they both feed off of right mm. whereas if he did this 10 years ago at barnes noble it would be misunderstood and not go over the same way so mm. Growing with your ideal retail also is a, is a thing. And I recommend looking at, into that too. Like Barnes & Noble, they just brought in Moomin about a week ago. And oh, if that plays out right, mm. Barnes & Noble could flip from almost going out of business to end up being like a, like we're, we live in South Korea, but we have an office here in the middle of farmland in Texas. Hmm. And there is no MoMA shop here. Like Target is the cool kid's place. But Barnes & Noble, there's 16 of them around us. That could end up being like our MoMA, like the place you walk into that makes you feel different, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the ideal setting for introducing things that you want. You want to be discovered somewhere and you want people to feel a certain thing. It helps if you're in places where they already kind of feel a certain way about the place. They like right. providing an experience around the products that are also kind of providing an experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's still very important. So I like, I, I thought... 
early on to answer your question more like i thought cool cats had the potential to be like a hello kitty and, and but like you said like there's i've been trying to make it clear at least in my opinion there's like the lifestyle of character brands are very different from a story driven like if they and you can be story driven like peanuts and snoopy and then move into lifestyle but then if you start off as lifestyle it's very hard to cross the other way i don't I can't think of one example where it's worked out. Yeah. Uh, like Paul Frank started out as lifestyle. Oh, yep. Attempted to make the the jump over to being a preschool brand, and then it, um, you know, it, it did what it did. It's very, it's very hard to go the other way. But something like Peanuts that started as a, you know, newspaper comic, and then, mm-hmm. and then maybe our generation knew it as a Christmas special and, you know, uh, plush dolls and lunch boxes, right? Oh, but yeah. in Japan, it's a major, major threat to Hello Kitty. And it's 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 going after her, you know, the post-university age to mid-50s of female consumers for the most part who drive most of that, the, the character business and have such that ripple effect on all the other territories, right? So like when the Snoopy movie came out, they almost lost it. Like that was so confusing because you know you don't want to be this, and you're it's like a part of your life, and then mm, that's for children. I don't know what are you doing, right? Like like the Moomin the Moomin stuff in in Japan, it's it's it would be very hard to like if it's a lifestyle brand, it'd be very hard to introduce Moomin as a as a kids show in Japan. I think right now, right? They have the Moomin Cafe in Thailand. I remember there were certain character brands that have cafes. You know, Hello Kitty has a cafe. Moomin has a cafe. Trying to think, there were a few. I think Gudetama, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cafes can be really, really great, and you don't have to wait until you're huge to to do it. Cafe culture and and character culture is big in in Korea, also. I would like to have a ghost cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the um play, there there was a play Playmobil toys. You know Playmobil, the I little love, figures. Love Playmobil. I have a little collection. I, I love I have, the design of those toys. I have the this one. It's a Starbucks barista. Oh, cool. So, like, uh, you know, in South Korea, the idea of adults buying toys was, like, I, I knew the couple thousand kids who did, but it was a couple thousand people. The average adult didn't collect toys at all. They, in fact, they would even, in general, move their kids off of toys earlier than, than most other territories. And then, all of a sudden, um, some kids started taking that some adults would bring Playmobil, like retro used, bought on eBay or wherever, used Playmobil figures. They bring them when they meet their friends in cafes and they take really high quality pictures of them. Love that, yeah. The tables and then share them on Instagram. And then over the years, that became kind of like a little subculture of, Big you time. know, adults bringing Playmobil and posting cool pictures of them. And then Starbucks caught on to that in South Korea and released a whole line of Starbucks Playmobil. What? And genius. Overnight they changed consumer behavior countrywide like they Amazing. every single location had 200 mostly ladies waiting outside 2 o'clock in the morning in the dark in the freezing cold. Just the flip opposite of what you'd seen, you know, historically. And now now it's all it's forever it's forever changed. So you can That's with one project or like things you're doing might seem deceptively small. And you're having, you could be having a, a much bigger impact than you, than you think. It's usually the small things that do it too. 
the big things you rarely <laughs> the big things rarely re- lead to big things. So um, interesting. You call those like little seeds, little breadcrumbs. Do you have like is there a word for that? I was talking to someone the other day that who was tinkering with the idea of taking um venture capital money for their character brand which is still it's in, in its infancy. And I said if you do that, they're not going to be happy to hear that you want to then with their money instead of going to big things, doing 10,000 tiny things that on their own, if you looked at them, would seem very insignificant. Like what, you know, once once you take money, that that play will be very difficult. Like to say to anyone who's investing in you, hi, I, I want to remain the right kind of small for 10 years. And I want to do these 10,000 seemingly tiny little things that once you do them all are really just one big thing that you end up hopefully with luck becoming part of culture versus if you take on money, you're most likely going to be end up, you know, ending up broadcasting to it or marketing to culture, which. Can I can ask be- you? Sure. Was that hard also? Because you, you remained like kind of ind- an independently like growing brand and like, you know, I'm just curious, like, because I've also been learning a little bit more about that side of things, the people who raise funds and the VC side of things. And sure. I've been pretty clueless up until recently about all of that. It does sure. seem like some people associate that with success, like having people invest in you. But then like you just pointed out some really key factors. I'm independently, me and my friend Cyrus, we are independently developing um, a video game in Unreal Engine. Oh, yeah, it's just literally we do little game jams and we hang out on, you know, Thursday nights and we build our fetch quests and we, yeah, I, I sketch out items and with the maps and I, we just talk about like what should happen next. And it's very fun, very, very fun. And like how to make it fun for who is going to experience it. And oh, also, but also like just FYI, every now and then I'm like, oh, you know, these guys just raised funds and have a whole team. They have a studio now. It's very like, you know, tempting, but like, yeah, if you could get into that a little bit. Well, I think if you're, if you're building a game or if you're trying to get a movie funded, um, you know, go, go chase that. Right. Because those are, I, I don't, I don't know enough about the game world to be able to say that keeping it small and boutique has a positive potential positive impact, unless you're building that game simultaneously with some like a, a character brand aspect and it's not just a game brand. But if if I was building my version of like, I don't know, a, just a, a video game, right? Uh, I can imagine that would be quite expensive. And my goal is to get as many people to play it as possible if I think I've got something great, right? And so, I don't, I don't, I think that's different. Like getting a children's book published is kind of like going to a VC. If you're not self-publishing, you're going to Random House and they are funding the printing of your book, right? And there are kind of, I mean, that kind of is the the right path, right? They have all the distribution already too, I guess, right? So there's that part. Yeah. So, and you know, so I, I think that there are some formulas where that's, a necessity and, and probably a really good good move, right? Mm. Especially if the the core thing that what you are, right? Like Hello Kitty is many things, mm. right? 
but it's actually like actually I, I I don't know no one would tell me what the right number is but I've been able to figure out that you know the percentage of revenues just from plush for Sanrio I can't say for sure it's ha- half of everything but it's high but they're not a toy company right yeah. not at all they they're not even a plush manufacturer even though they they do most of their plush in-house mm-hmm. but they do it in-house so that it's perfect because it's such a critical physical representation of what they really are which is a, a brand and they are a way you feel about something mm. right but if your if your core thing is the game like Nintendo even though Nintendo has a thriving character business they're they're really a game like you you, you have like the game is the thing mm. right then everything else serves that like how illumination makes films yeah and they can be smart about maintaining the minions character brand and consumer product program and not to ruin it that way but they're making films whereas it's debatable now if disney is really a film company or if they've evolved into something more but wow. you know like if you're if you're making a game and that game won't reach enough players without some sort of funding then i would say i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i know enough about it to dissuade someone from going for it very interesting yeah, I mean I think the game is just one avenue for like, you know, spreading the all the things I want to do with the characters and and I I do love the idea of like collaboration and this is a collaboration which makes it special um you know, Cyrus has already independently developed an entire game with his own world, his own characters. That's oh, like that's... back bringing it back to the web3 thing, right? Having those crossovers with brands versus i guess i wanted to ask you next about collaborating with other artists maybe more independent brands that could still be very like like you mentioned a little bit you touched on it a little you talked about um like a dahara collab oh yeah that could be really good for for you absolutely i think it's a really wise move to seek out you know tribe leaders in general like dahara is a tribe leader when he shows up at uh, the pop box, like live paint things that he does, and you look around, it's like his army army of people come out holding the phone, and they've got the Dihara keychain thing, and they're and he breaks out into this different character and does a whole physical performance, and he, he has his tribe, and then Toma, uh, another they they're like they seem like they're in the same world, but he has a very different tribe. Mm. Just as massive, but it's an, whoa, these are a very different group of people. Now they're painting on the same surface together. And these two tribes are like, Dihara's tribe is now for the first time aware of what Toma's up to. And maybe 20% of them check him out Mm -hmm. and and percentage of Toma's fans go check out what Dihara is doing. And you, you kind of make these alliances to bring, you know, each other's tribes closer together. I I don't think there's anything unhealthy about that at all. I think it's just tricky in the very beginning, you know, like I won't, I won't say what shoe company, but shoe companies need to stay in, in the, in the mind and eyes of their tribe. They need to keep on whatever it is that keeps their tribe on them. They need to maintain that. And usually a lot, a lot of time that involves finding who's the cool thing right now mm-hmm. and aligning with that. You know, oh, this kid's getting a lot of attention in a hot web. Web three is hot, and this kid is hot within it. Let's do something with him. So the people in web three are like, oh my god, this is so significant. But really, it's oh my company that I like 
that I identify with for my shoes is on top of like, yeah, I keep reading on Hypebeast after time, after time. You're, you're like one of many, many little steps that they must take to maintain, you know, as best they can their air Rele- of uh, yeah. cultural relevancy. Sure. Sure. So, but, but, but for the, on the other end of that, if you're like the designer toy thing was, a oh my gosh, it was going so well. <laughs> uh, you know, the masters of that universe early on completely freaked out and, and got distracted. It was Pete Fowler and Critter Box and early Kid Robot, Strange Go, all, all you know, that, that era. Mm-hmm. And half of us got tapped on the shoulder by Disney and Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network at a time when that was just the most romantic thing that could happen to you. It's like, oh, my God, they know I exist Disney, oh, and it's like you you start like triggering things from when you were five years old. And it it you could see like the beautiful work just like uh, uh, because everyone got distracted. Suddenly it was like, oh, I can get a show. And the people who are over there making the shows are like dreaming to be the, the Pete Fowler guy. Wow. <laughs> right? no, I shouldn't pick on Pete, but, you know, like because he was just such a so like a lot of these. But developing your own IP versus working in a machine or something is that what you? I, I suppose that that just seemed like such a well because you know it's it's if you're working at Disney you got there because you dreamed of it since you were probably in, in a single digit age you know and then it's like you're finally there and yeah. then maybe some are in love with it and they're happy with it but they see people doing you know they they imagine it who knows but the point was that the the toy design thing which really could have disrupted all of toys and it really reminds me of web3 a lot like the nft thing and the designer toy thing kind of echoes and and rhymes in many ways but Mm -hmm. a lot of us got very distracted by the attention from big companies Mm -hmm. um nike um time magazine uh oh not that time magazine's bad or anything but like you know you know like names that are like just this romantic Oh my God! They they know that I'm exist. How can that? It's it's like it feels like a miracle. I'm like you'd be crazy to not at least take a meeting and check out what in the world they want, right? And then what they want is for you to pitch them a show to them. It's it's a dream come true for many, and it just kind of distracted a lot of us. And so you could see some some moved in, were able to move in because of that distraction and and some took the opportunity to kind of pick up the ball and run with it. And and then Funko really picked up the ball and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Um, not distracted by any of that, but instead getting all the licenses, you know, slowly. Funko was always in the corner with the bobbleheads. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, he'd be like, hey, hey, man, you want to work together? Hey, you know, we were like one of the early uh, Funko Pops a long time before, you know, before they were everywhere. But they they very wisely picked up whatever everyone else dropped and and ran with it and became a major legacy regular toy company and then pop mart the biggest would you say wouldn't you say they're kind of the they're everywhere i mean they're, yeah, they're, even in they're the everywhere walgreens but they're also in they're <laughs> but right. they somehow have made it into like also cooler places and cool stores it's pretty wild yeah it's pretty great yeah sure because the there is a i mean if you're interested in licensing me that's that's very powerful. Well, I think what they did was quite brilliant. Yeah, they they did it very well, and Brian's quite brilliant. Uh, Pop Mart did their you know what they did. They they did like two times Mattel's market cap, right? Based off of a combination of what was going on in the U.S. and and what everyone was building in Korea and Japan and uh, at the Taipei Toy Festival. And they kind of learned a lesson from Murakami when Murakami did Super Flat 
right? He very smartly made a show for people who had no idea who he was, but he kind of curated it and made him like it was his thesis, otaku culture. And he he brought in many who were just his equal, but it felt like, oh, but Murakami is the, the guy. And then there's this, then, you know, these are all the other ones. And Pop Mart sort of did the same thing where they had the Beijing toy show and the Shanghai toy show every six months, one of the, you know, so once a year, once a year, mm-hmm. six months apart. And they would bring in all the heroes from the toy world and the character world from Korea and Japan and just uh, Taiwan and everywhere. And and sometimes just invited them for free and gave them amazing space. So it was this incredible thing you're walking into. But but they were, you know, front and center, like the things that they were doing. It was their show. So, yeah, they made just to give context to anyone who doesn't know that those shows were the shows like I, I mean, and that's a big thing to say because they were around a smaller amount of time and then like still like there's still amazing other amazing toy shows um like tte thailand toy expo and uh you know the thai paid toy festival right like there's so many other really high up there like good shows but they became the shows like you could the one that was the best yeah yes absolutely Whereas the Taipei Toy Festival is just a show, or a decon is just a, a show, not just, but it's it's it is what it is. It's it's Comic Con. Comic Con is not also trying to be a toy company and get you to fall in love with, you know, and focus on their their brands. And that's that's really what Pop Mart was doing. They were using everyone else to introduce you to the world of this, you know, all this stuff, but then kind of like narrow it down to where the focus was really razor sharp on on their pretty pretty beautiful product line that they, they they didn't just do that and then it was like by chance they they had they had the goods to back it up and you know great great toys great yeah, great toys. yeah. but i i recommend board ape yacht club also analyzing and looking at what they did right like yeah. there's there's so much that you can do in the real world to supplement you know and to grow beyond the very small you know still very small little closed environment that we're all operating within that feels so huge and large when we're just in and it feels like it's been 10 years and it's been two or three but you know when you step out of it it's still i I would say it's like half of what designer toys was at its peak as far as like actual impact on culture beyond those that little circle there's a lot there's a lot left to do uh, i think there's a lot of great work that can be done i I wanted to like I just wanted to comment about that a little bit because it was really fun to see the Web3 section at DesignerCon for the first time last November and the reaction of a lot of the people I know through Web3 being in the presence of like so many people doing it, right? But who aren't in Web3, right? Oh, and right. It, That's right. Yeah. That was really interesting and kind of fun to see and feel the energy in another, just to just to point this out, I have a little bit of a pet peeve with both, I don't want to call them sides, because we're kind of all trying to do something similar, but sure, not aware. But you know what I mean? There's like this, there's like these, there are people operating in Web3 who kind of like want to think that, you know, I don't know, maybe that, that, that they're, they're not doing the same thing and that it's different. But then when you're in those scenarios, you realize, oh, this is also what they're doing. But sure. then on the flip, I, 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 can, I can also see how much it would benefit 
people who aren't in Web3 to kind of look into what is becoming available and the technology behind it. And, and, and because it's such a, like you just said, it's such a small um, early space at the moment still. There's so much room, you know, to to grow and for things to, I, I just wish people would work together better and not like be like, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm doing this. And like, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm flexing over here. Like, this is how it's done, you know? Sure. Well, there, there was some of that. I remember like an early toy fair, one of these major designer toy outfits. Also, it was our first year at Toy Fair. I think it was like our fifth or sixth and they were rubbing their hands like, yeah, ready to make millions. And like, you mean spend millions, right? And he's like, well, what, what do you mean? And it was a, there, there's a kind of perception about how how everything is on the other side of the tracks. And then there's the actual. So I yeah, I think those who are, you know, in Web3 would, they should take a trip to Japan and go to Design Fest or to, you know, even the Wonder Festival or any any of these in-person mm. shows or or Designer Con or or they should walk the the licensing show in Las Vegas also. That's what that's yeah. on my list. Um yeah, the licensing shows has been on my list for a couple of years. And I was actually I had been speaking to somebody at the Japanese licensing expo. Um, but then it was the pandemic. Yes, yes, right. Through a wrench in my spokes. Of course. But, but, I, I, but I'm I, thinking of doing the Las Vegas one. You, are you going to be there? No, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll have to go, some, sometime. I, I absolutely recommend everybody go at least once, even just to be on foot as an observer, mm-hmm. to really to, to go to that, and then to go to like the designer con, and to kind of keep both fresh in your mind as you experience the other one, and and to think about how the same and and what you know what the similarities are and how it's kind of like the same world in a way but how very different the procedure is right it's it's very it's a very i think important step to take to at least to walk the show just to talk to people it's a great yeah that's a great tip um even just attending the show is really is r&d research and development yeah yeah i i would highly recommend it and there are certain there are certain activities that i i would definitely recommend for those who are you know thinking about entering the, especially like the lifestyle character brand or they're in Web three and they see their property as being something that could live beyond just um, JPEGs that that it's something like if they would really like to give Sanrio a run for their money there are certain steps you can take and just trips you can go on that would immediately open up you know, an entire universe to you that you might, you know, otherwise can seem very unapproachable and 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 it, it, unclear as to where you would start, right? But um, yeah, I, I mean, so a lot of these projects could really, there's, there's a lot of talk about, oh, the next, the next Hello Kitty, uh, but without really understanding what Sanrio's yeah. business actually is, right? But actually really taking a, a true look at it. Well, what, what is Sanrio really? And what do I mean when I say the next Hello Kitty? What does that actually, does that just mean widely known and on pocketbooks and, and wallets? Because yep. it's a lot more than that, right? And mm-hmm. there's there's so much to learn. It, it's it's actually a really exciting time. So I, I'm, you know, I'm envious I'm a, of those. I'm a big fan of, um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of like The Simpsons and um, what else? masters of the universe what else mm-hmm. I, I i'm just thinking of like things that pop pop in my head as like influences that 
from like w- when I was younger. Do you have any from when you were younger that that kind of you think or um, your partner maybe d- that you guys would say would be on your list of like early inspiration? I, I was always drawn to, I mean, as far as actual um, animation goes, I, I always loved um, Totoro and I, I thought I was wrong about what it was. And then um, Sun Min, my wife and, and co-conspirator was, had a far more clear like for her, Totoro was the quiet connection of memories of like visiting grandma in the countryside, right? Mm-hmm. That it, it wasn't really about that creature creature at all. It was the creature and all that. I mean, it may have been like there are some conspiracy websites about it means death and stuff. But <laughs> but I, I I couldn't shake the feeling of the kind of like the quiet the quiet long cuts and the absence of quick editing and. Mm-hmm house out in the countryside and that kind of long traveling between spots and just th- those kind of feelings really resonated with me and it, it resonated resonated with me at a time when i kept thinking about how important it is to you know instead of marketing to people to try to be a point of discovery that help that hopefully can make people feel a certain way i think is really important so that that stuck out for me you know i mean simpson's hilarious of course <laughs> Uh, but um, and, and that makes people feel a certain way, right? That's a very successful. I mean, what what season are they on? Like season one thousand and thirty. In terms of uh, Ghibli, Nasca is one of my favorites of all time. That's beautiful. That's mm-hmm. a great. What's the one where it's um it's it's more reality based? There's there's one where they're in Tokyo, but of maybe it's in the fifties or in the forties. Oh, the and wind. Beautiful backgrounds. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Is it wind, the word wind in that one? Or Maybe. I, I never sat through the whole thing all the way through, but I'm always end up picking through the backgrounds online. Just, I have it. I have like these old fan subbed box sets of Ghibli films from Kim's video that I used to, you know, I used to back back in the day we had to get like secret bootleg fan subs of everything. But this was such a, by the way, I I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I think this is a really nice way to end it. I mean, you just, everything you just said is so lovely and give me warm fuzzies, made me feel really good about where you are in your, in your journey and just grateful that you shared so much with, with me and anybody who decides to listen, watch oh, this. Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. The, the whole time I keep staring at the, your background and, uh, you know, I want I want that on things. <laughs> oh, I'm going to send you some goodies. Uh, after this, I'll have to get your address to send you a bunch of goodies. Um, oh, excellent. But yeah, do you want to just give everybody like some last? Is there anything you want to share about stuff you have coming up that people can check out or? Oh, um, March six, uh, Bossy Bear on Nick Junior's uh, 11 a.m. weekdays. Awesome. And then. Um, on our Substack, we get into the depths of how, like that show went flawlessly. Uh, no development hell, no weird, like I pitched it. Uh, we did a deal with Imagine and then right away took it to Nick Jr. And then they right away. And like, so everything went extremely well, but we started in the end of 2018. So it doesn't always take that long. I've heard of shows, you know, zero uh, and then two years later, it's it's on the air. But that was the first flawless experience I've ever been through. And to give everyone an idea of how long these things can take and that it shouldn't be like if you're two years in and 
you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, it's you're probably off to a good start. Mm. You know? uh, I wouldn't be discouraged. Uh, too many, I think, would grow discouraged quickly. And I think if the, the more you plan and the more you study the world that you want to inhabit um, and, and arm yourself with just as much information as you can at all times. But, um, you know, that it's it don't rush it, it uh, you know, be patient. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. Well, thank you so much, David. Oh, sure. Thank you very much for having me. Great to see you. All right. Follow David Horvath on Twitter at David Z Horvath. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, at Mumbot, and at Mumbot World on TikTok. Thank you so much to Andy at the NFT Catcher podcast for powering this episode. Shout out Michael Keane, Jennifer Suto, Mumbot World, and Ghost Club. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go! Thank you for tuning in to the NFT Catcher Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about the exciting world of NFTs. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really love what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite platform. If you want to stay up to date with the latest news and insights from the NFT space, be sure to follow us on all the socials at NFT Catcher Pod. You can follow Jennifer at Jennifer underscore pseudo and Michael at NFTicket. I'm your producer, Andy, and I'm at AJC254. Our theme songs by It's Just Loose. We always appreciate your feedback and support, which helps us reach more people and bring you informative and engaging content about NFTs. We look forward to bringing you more great NFT content in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Peace.